I'm Michael Levitin, and this is The Tell, episode 13. I first heard the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when I was in kindergarten, and I hated it completely, <laughs> even as a five-year-old. Um, and of the, the many reasons I hated it, the biggest one was the audience response. That I looked around at the other kids in class, and it became clear that they all related to Rudolph when they were obviously the shitty asshole normal reindeer. <laughs> Somehow they had missed this obvious point that they were the villains of the story and that they believed they were the hero. I, in the last 35 years of ranting hatefully about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I've come to uh, a realization. People tell me that, you know, we're all the same. Uh, we all relate to Rudolph. We all think we're a little different and feel alienated and feel a lot of pressure to fit in with other people. Uh, and I, I get that. I understand we all feel that way. Some people are actually different and are actually oppressed by a majority of people who are the same and are forced to live in the fringes of society. That's real. Some people are actually Rudolph and some people are not. And I think that's important. Unpopular opinion. <laughs> that the people who are not Rudolph should acknowledge it. <laughs> that they are the shitty other reindeer. That said, uh, on the other side of this, I don't understand people who have not been outsiders. I just don't think it's good for you. If you're like a prince or something, or you've always been loved by everybody and you always fit in, I don't trust that. I don't think it's good for your brain. Uh, you just have to be an outsider. I don't know what to say about it. Um, but so the stories in this episode are from Dean Dempsey and Tone Tank. Uh, and they might show you a little bit about what goes on on the underbelly of society in case you haven't experienced it yourself. This is episode 13 of The Tell. Uh, okay, so my father's name is Trash. <laughs> See, it, it, that's probably not his God-given name. I, I don't know. But I will tell you that, uh, you know, when you're a punk in the 80s, that seems like a name you'd have, right? To give you some perspective, my mother's name was uh, Susie Scumfuck. This is true. You know, her name is no longer Susie Scumfuck. I should start calling her that. I should. I'm going to call her the next, uh, tomorrow. Mom, Susie Scumfuck. I'm gonna... Can I borrow 50 bucks? Uh, I remember, I think it was 1990. I was really like about four years old. And uh, uh, my mom says, hey, Trash is coming to visit tomorrow. She even called him Trash to me. So I was like, wow, it's so exciting. So I, I, I go to bed because I'm going to be rested and I want to be there. And I remember in my dream of him arriving in a sanitation truck, you know. So and I wake up and I'm, I run to the living room. He's not there. He came and he left. And uh, I didn't see him again for 14 years. Why? I don't know, actually. I've actually never even asked. <laughs> I guess I didn't care. I guess the mystery to me was more appealing than the, uh, the, the, you know, the facts or the knowledge of what actually happened. Um, you know, and I thought maybe you know, something has to do with it, my parents being teenagers, right? Uh, something uh, maybe about going to nine different schools and uh, moving over 50 times in five different states. Maybe that had something to do with it. You know, I, I, I hear, you know, maybe it's important. I don't know. People have told me that it's important, but the relationship between a boy and his father is, is important. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's the same with girls and their mother. I'm not an expert. I can't say because I didn't experience any of, 
any relationship of any sort, really. And uh, so I guess growing up, I was always sort of um, looking for him, you know, just kind of over my shoulder, just wondering, when am I going to see my dad again? Because he's still somewhere in my memory on a sanitation truck, you know, coming to see me. And uh, I had a couple of pictures of him that, you know, it, it, it was sitting on his lap and uh, he had like these tattoos on his neck and there were the theater masks, uh, comedy and tragedy, right? So that was always a signifier. So I thought to myself, you know, that's how I'll, I'll, I'll recognize him, you know? And sure enough, about 14 years later, I'm sitting at a restaurant and I was visiting Tucson, Arizona. It's a little crystal meth town just south of Phoenix. <laughs> and <laughs> I cracked myself. I'm not doing this for myself, that's all. And uh, anyway, so I'm sitting at this restaurant, and this sounds really perverted and gross, but very honest. I'm looking out the window, and I'm like, that is a fucking handsome man. Ooh, God, I want to fucking ask him for his number. And then I look closer. <gasps> Good God, he had those tattoos. I'm like, oh, it has to be a coincidence. It has to be. And I'm looking, and I'm looking. And I never, I didn't tell my friends even at the table. And, and I, I didn't go out and talk to him. And, but I knew, I was like, oh my God, that's fucking him. Because I heard that he was in Tucson from, well, that's where I was born. So I guess maybe he never got tickets and left. But <laughs> I, I knew it was him. And I, I didn't say anything. And it was weeks that passed. And I finally got, an, I got a Greyhound ticket back to Tucson. And I went looking for him. So I'd go around, hey, do you know this guy named Trash? What the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck? And, but I was like, all right, I'm asking the wrong people. So I would go to like degenerates, you know, like old punks and drunks and the homeless people. And they're like, oh yeah, man, Texas trash, dude. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's, he's living in Bisbee now. And I'm like, oh fuck, that's another crystal meth town south of Tucson. Okay, so I make my way down to Bisbee and I'm looking for a few days and I feel so stupid. I'm like, you know what? Fuck this guy, fuck him. Why the fuck does, do I owe him anything, right? Why am I the one pounding concrete all fucking night looking for him? Why isn't he doing that for me? So I started to build this sort of aggression and this resentment toward him. And I leave town and on the way out, of course, I, I fucking, of course I pass someone. You know, I'm going onto the highway. I was with a friend, I don't know how to drive, but uh, I'm a good passenger. And uh, turn left, no, you're on the left. Uh, uh, and uh, I see him, so I'm like, okay, pull over. I, like, I'm gonna go, I have to fucking talk to this guy, and it's about nine in the morning, right? And I go up to him and I say, <clears throat> he's in the Circle K, it's a one little gas station in this town called Bisbee. And I go up to him and I say, hey, do you remember Susie and Bobby? And he says, yeah, what do you know about them? And it was like out of a fucking movie. I said, I'm Bobby, I'm your son. And I have the worst vertigo. My knees are buckling. The brachos at the beer coolers are, you know, the, the cashier, the cashiers are like, you know, she's count, the cashier's counting your money. The fuck did he just say? And he steps back like I'm gonna punch him and I regret to this day that I didn't. <laughs> so I, I, uh, he buys a tall can of ice house and um, we shared it. <laughs> Speak of the devil. And uh, I forgot I was on stage. Uh, and uh, uh, I walk him to his job. He was a dishwasher at a steakhouse across the street. 
And um, that's was kind of it at that moment. We exchanged numbers. I was moving back to San Francisco, and uh, it's a gay city just uh, west of New York. <laughs> <laughs> they have a very thick accent, honey. And uh, I wish it stuck. And uh, uh, I think maybe a year passed. I mean, we had hung out a couple times when I was in town in Tucson, and we, you know, we would just get fucked up. We'd smoke crack or whatever together. And then the hangover was always so bad, and I was like, ah, I gotta stop talking to this guy, it's no good. And I go back to San Francisco, I'm going back to school. And I, I get a, a phone call from a hospital, and they said, uh, we found your number as son or something in his phone, and your father's going to die. I'm like, what the hell happened? You know, I took all the crack with me. <laughs> what could it possibly be? It turns out he got hit by a train. <laughs> I like you. Who is that? And uh, he lost his arm and his leg and uh, the majority of his blood, it was, I forgot the ratio, but it was a lot. I mean, people just don't live after something like that. So they said, well, he's still alive now. Uh, to relieve the swelling, they removed all of his intestines and it was sitting on a, on a tray next to him. That's not funny, Lucille. Is that you? I need new friends, man. And, uh, and if you want to see him, now's your time because he's not going to make this. No one makes, no one survives after this kind of accident. And I said no, because I had this resentment. I, I, I felt like he owed me something. I felt like... I felt like, uh, why the fuck would I give that to him? I'm not going to fucking visit him. I'm not going to go to his fucking funeral. And somehow, I mean, if uh, the orange president that we have now, if he presses his big button, uh, everyone's going to die except for two things, cockroaches and my father, because he survived. He lived. <laughs> and uh, he lives, and he got a prosthetic leg, and he got a hook for an arm. And he's still fucking bumming around, borrowing money from people and, and starting <laughs> tabs at the bar that he can't pay. He's consistent. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I, I kind of was starting to remind myself that I have to forgive him or not hold him to this, this level that he's not capable of being at. I mean, sometimes it just is what it is. And it takes so much from yourself and your soul and your person to hate somebody, you know. So, you know, we started hanging out. You know, he came to New York a few times. He used to live here in the 80s during Tompkins Square riots and stuff. And uh, uh, he came back. Uh, and he, he was here for, uh, what is that show called? The America's Got Talent. I, I guess he was a... Um, I don't know, set on fire, shot out of a cannon, whatever. <laughs> so he says, he says to me, he's like, hey, Bob. He's like, hey, Bob, come to, come, we're shooting, uh, uh, what is it called, Redneck, 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 Long Island? <laughs> what is it? I think it's Redneck, huh? <laughs> oh, Hicks, Hicks, I'm thinking of Hicks, sorry. Hicks, Long Island. <laughs> Sorry, that, I didn't plan for that, actually. That's good, though. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to write that down. Where's my assistant? Shit. Uh, fuck it. Uh, so, anyway, so they're shooting out in, like, Hicks, Long Island. 
and I get paid $300 for three days to be his handler, right? Because he's unhandable and handable. Uh, and <laughs> I love this woman over here. Where's Michael? Sit her in the front next time, would you? And uh, anyway, so, uh, but, you know, so I meet him, I, I meet up with them. I, the first thing I do is I check in with the America's Got Talent people and uh, I get my $300 in cash the first day. They wanted to do 100 a day. I'm like, no, just give me the full 300 because I don't want to be bothering this line again. Like, okay, sure, fine. <laughs> they shouldn't have done that. So we go to the hotel and we get some fucking blow and some booze. Anyway, wake up the next day. It looks like fear and loathing in Las Vegas. You know, when they wake up in that hotel and everything's kind of somewhat underwater. The refrigerator door was torn off. There was a crack in the TV screen. He, uh, he's butt naked and face down. In, in a puddle. I don't know what the puddle was. Uh, so I'm like, shit. So I had to get him to set. And we, we get there, and he blacks out. Out. And I have pictures. I, should, I wish I had a, like a TV. I, I could do like a, like a slideshow here, actually. <laughs> he blacks out, and, and the, the, the executives from NBC find out what we did to the hotel room. Not very happy. Meanwhile, he's blacked out in the parking lot on stage five, right? So, so they're like, what the fuck happened? What, is he alive? What is going on? And I'm like, yes, okay, we did break, th that's true. I did steal a beer from the bar at nine in the morning that they weren't open, but they, they left the fucking door open. But yes, this is true. Uh, hold that thought. I'm going to use the restroom. I'll be right back. I run to the bathroom and I call a taxi. I'm like, pick the south side of stage five. Please, <laughs> so I leave him. I leave him there. He's blacked out in the fucking parking lot. But I had my $300. So I go to the bar, of course, and have a great time and buy everyone drinks and tell the story. It was funny as fuck. I don't regret it. But anyway, they got kicked off. They got kicked off the show. They lost to a puppet. Um, so I started to think about this. So he comes back to New York another time, and he uh, gets so fucked up. So here's the thing about how many alcoholic uh, people here with prosthetics? All right, well, I'm sure we all have a family member that has one or two. But essentially, I guess, the, when you get fucked up, the, your muscles relax, and that fucks with the suction of your leg, or like the thing. So his leg is always dragging behind him. And he is, you know? So it, it's very fucking irritating, because nothing is heavier than dead weight. I mean, granted, he's 140 pounds, but I'm also 140 pounds, so. It's, 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 you know, uh, so I'm, I'm carrying him home and I'm, and I could see my fucking apartment and I'm livid. I'm like, fucking pull it together, man. You know, how fucked up are you? What did you drink that I didn't, you know? And I could see my window and I'm like, look, see that window? That's me, right? He's no, Bob, leave me here. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sleep on this, uh, like milk cartons where vegetables go in the daytime on uh, Hester Street. And I'm like, you want to fucking sleep there? You fucking sleep there, asshole. And I kicked him as hard as I possibly could. <laughs> on his, like, shoulder or something. And he, he gets knocked out. He's out, right? And I'm so disappointed with myself. I said, all this time, I'm so busy judging him as a father without assessing who I am as a son. Again, this one. I love this one. <laughs> So, you know, to like to get the rest of my aggression out, I kicked the side of a van about 4 or 5.30 in the morning. 
and these four Chinese guys come out. I mean, I think they were Chinese. I don't know. They, it was, you know, near Chinatown, so I'm assuming. Don't assume. Uh, but these, these, these four guys come out, and, and I say, oh, my fucking God, it's a Chinese mob. <laughs> so I book it, and I leave them again. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go rescue them, but I have to disguise myself. So I run home. <laughs> So I run. <laughs> so I run home, and uh, I, I change into all white as opposed to all black. <laughs> and I put a hat on. And I try to walk a little differently when I when I'm going over there. And he was gone. He was completely gone. He wasn't there. And uh, and there's no way he could have gotten away. The van was gone, and he was gone. Oh my fucking god! They took him. They're gonna. <laughs> So they took him, and they roughed him up a little bit, and they were like, what the fuck, he could have ran, but they realized that he can't even stand. <laughs> and I got lucky enough to, taking the long way home, I went down Canal Street, because I was trying to zigzag in case they were following me, you know? So I, I, I take Canal Street, and I see a leopard print hook. His arm was leopard print. And a hook. <laughs> and he was, ironically, in the trash, which I thought was fitting. <laughs> and... Uh, and I say, Dad? And he goes, Bob? <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, who are those guys? I'm like, I don't know, dude. I, I, I think it was a Chinese mob, man. We better fucking, we better get the fuck out of here. And he bulked up and he was walking home, man. <laughs> it was around that time that uh, he and I made a movie together called Candy Apple. And... Uh, we started making art together, and I started uh, making photographs that were reflective of, of his anatomy, so not so much of how I look like him, but how I don't. So the sort of the double amputation, uh, uh, yeah, yada, yada. <clears throat> and I basically, I kind of turned something into that, I turned my relationship around with him that could have been something that's very uh, negative and, and uh, not productive, and I made it the exact opposite. And I never really did, I never really did find my father, but uh, with that bargain, I guess I found a friend. talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about vandalism, meditation, and the zen of being arrested. Toltec is not my real name. Um, but like, unless you write checks for me, like, you don't even know what my real name is. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't pay my bills or keep me warm at night, you don't need to know what my real name is, you know? Um, and that's true for anything. For all of you people, you tell somebody that. If they're minding your business, 
You can tell them you don't pay my bills and keep me warm at night. <laughs> I just figured this out the other day. I've been getting a lot of run out of it. <laughs> so, anyway, like, so there's been a lot of like dualities in my life. Like, what's your real name? And it's like, well, I was, and also, where are you from? It's like, well, I was born in Brooklyn, and then during like the white flight, my parents took me out because after five generations of getting off the boat from Sicily and Ireland, they're like. No, you know what this kid needs? He needs a four-foot above-ground pool. And, and that's going to change his life and keep him out of trouble. But, uh, you know, I grew up in Lindenhurst, Long Island, and it was like a real dirtbag town, you know? Where, um, you know, the people who did best, you're looking at it. You're looking at it. Most, most people I grew up are not in a fancy room like this right now. So I made like, this is great. Um, yeah, like, the, you, like, either, like, died of, like, a drug overdose, or went to, like, prison, or, like, the best case scenario, besides me, was you, like, work in a work van, eating, like, bacon, egg, and cheese, and reading Newsday every day, smelling some other guy's farts, you know, like, that's what was there. So, at, like, age 14, um... I got my ass out to the city as much as I could, you know? And, um, and like, there's always been a duality. Like, I'm a bit of a knucklehead, but at the same time, I'm an artist. And it's always kind of been there. But I had to, like, get in, you know, um, do what I had to do to get by or whatever, and, and build up the exterior. You know what I mean? Um, to not get beat up and jump and all that. Because it was crazy. It was the 90s, and it was really, like, we got, like, the overflow of the city without any of the museums. You know what I mean? Like, like, it was just like, yo, I watched my back. I, you know, I had razors pulled on me and all kinds of stuff by the time I was like 15 years old. It, it was not really a, it, I didn't feel safe growing up, you know? And I did what I had to do to, to, you know, feel safe. But anyway, this is not about that. Usually, like Michael asked me to come do a story and I said, I don't want to do my stories like, like, I don't want to tell war stories, you know? Like, I, I, that's not who I am anymore. Like, I, I don't know if that's ever who I was. It's what I did. But I, I don't want to do that, you know? I don't feel like that's reflective of uh, where I'm at now. That it's played out to me. And um, so then I, I didn't really want to do a story. I was going to be on the last one, and I said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> the time. And then he was persistent about it. I was really actually touched that he was persistent about it. Um... And we came up with this story. So graffiti, like, I remember being five years old, driving down the Belt Parkway, riding down the Belt Parkway in the back of my parents' 1980 hatchback Datsun. And um, my mom tells me this story. We're passing by a bunch of graffiti. Everything was covered. Everything was covered. It was great. And I loved it. I like, always had this, this attraction, this magnetic attraction to, like, the seedy underbelly. Like, my pops worked in Times Square. He was a union stagehand. And so we worked through, walked through Times Square in the 80s, and they had the three-card money and, and the hookers and, and people with sunglasses on being like, smoke coke, smoke coke. And, and I was five, and I was just like electrified. You know, I was electrified by all of this. Um, I don't know why. I, it was just naturally attracting me. Abandoned buildings, train yards, graffiti. But um, tonight's deal is about graffiti. So, we're driving down the Belt Parkway, going to my grandma's house, my Italian grandma, 
who is a saint, was a saint, uh, she's the only person, no matter what I did, I was still an angel in her eyes. Everybody else had had it with my shit. I could still go there, knock on the door anytime. It was like the mother in Goodfellas, when Joe Pesci comes through, they just like killed some guy, and she served him on meatballs. That's how my grandma was. You know, but at five years old, we go in there, I'm in the back of the hatchback, I'm looking out, and, and the way my mom tells me the story, I don't remember because I was like four or five, said, Mommy, Mommy, what's that? She said, huh? What's that? What's that? She said, oh, that's graffiti. I said, are they allowed to do that? She said, no, it's illegal. She said, my eyes got really big. I said, how don't they get caught? And, um, yo, it's pretty much like destiny from them. I said, I I just like vandalism. I don't know why. Like all types of vandalism. Like going down to like the, not even a, I was about to say abandoned factories. No, just going down to the factories when they were closed on a Sunday and like breaking their windows. I don't know. It felt great to do. It felt great to do. I guess maybe you're a kid, you're powerless over a lot of shit, and it's just, you feel empowered to break something, you know? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I got really into graffiti, you know? I got really into graffiti. And um, by like, I remember when I was skateboarding, the second I found graffiti, skateboarding was done. Uh, you had to be good at skateboarding. You didn't really have to be good at graffiti. You just had to do it a lot. You know, if you do it a lot, you're going to get good. Enough. Um, and I remember skateboarding, and some kids, some older kids were there, and like, I wiped out, and my board almost went into the, into the street, and a car was coming, and this, like, older kid, he, like, swooped by on his board, picked up my board right before I got hit by a car, and, like, seemingly caught a tag all in one I was like, wow. You know, that night I went home and I just practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I was out before all of my friends with actual paint on walls. And um, yeah, so I got in trouble a lot when I was a kid, like a lot, a lot, in school, everywhere, but I wasn't a bad kid. I was just bad enough. I was like a class clown. Like, I wasn't a bad kid, but I was on probation by the time I was 16. I got put away when I was 14 for like four months or whatever. And I, I don't feel bad about any of that. It was very formative stuff. Like, I, I learned a lot through that. And it's actually, it's all beautiful. Um, so anyway, that being said, I, you know, it, it's cool to be in this beautiful, fancy room. And some of the other things I've gotten to get, because my life is kind of like, I have these like after-school special moments in my life. <laughs> where it's like, my probation officer looked at me and said, you really like this art stuff, huh? And then he said, we're going to get you in a vocational program for, for graphic design. And I went half-day school and half-day vocational school for graphic design, which led me to go to FIT right up on 27th Street. And I actually got to go to college. But then after I get out of classes, these kids had college friends. Honestly, no disrespect, I learned in college, yo, college friends can't hold a torch. To, to your street friends, because one time you so-called graffiti writers in college that I hung around with, they did a lot of legal walls and stuff like that. I wasn't about that. Like, you don't get permission to, the whole point of graffiti is you don't have permission. You take it, because I don't own any of these big buildings, you know what I mean? And I'm never going to own any of these big buildings, but I can put my name on it. You know? 
nigga, like you can put your name on it. Anybody here can put their name on it. I got a marker. You can go put your name on something. Um, so yeah. Um, so I, I ended up going to school and design and this dual life of like hanging out in the street still and like one foot in and one foot out. And, and that was kind of like, that's been my shit up until very, very recently. You know what I mean? Like I still, I still have, I have run-ins with the law and this and that, just less. You know, I was like beating by the cops early. I've had cops put guns in my face. Um, they, they, they usually, I'm one of the lucky white people that they do decide to stop all the time and beat up once in a while. Like that's actually, you know, it doesn't happen to that many of us on the regular, but I've been blessed enough. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't know. I just know how it feels to get hit with a flashlight. I'm not saying I really know how anything feels. I just know how a cop's flashlight feels on my head. <laughs> and, um, but you know what? When you're doing that shit, you accept it, man. You don't cry about it. You don't cry about it. You know what you did. You know the cops might. You know they're like, come down that roof. We know you're up there. And you're like, nah. They don't know. It's <laughs> like you make us come up on that roof and you're gonna fucking regret it, you know? And I'm like, nah, they don't know. And then I see the, the flashlight and gun silhouettes like this. I'm like, all right, chill, chill. And they're like, boom, boom, you know? Uh, when I was 14, the first time I was called a cocksucker was when I was 14, and it was by a grown-up police officer. Like, Come, you don't stop, you little cocksucker, I'll kill you. I said, I'm definitely not stopping. You know what I mean? I ain't getting caught before Christmas. I slid over the hood. I, I hopped over the fence. I was out. Um, you know, I don't run anymore, though. Like, because I'm older than a lot of the cops now. I ain't running from this kid. So anyway, one of the fancy things I managed to accumulate, I was offered a, an artist residency in Jersey City. Yo, where's that timer, by the way? Okay, I got, I got this. Um, I had, over the summer and spring, had an artist residency in Jersey City. So I also do quote-unquote legitimate art, whatever legitimate means. It's all, like, I make stuff. With my hands, and I, I, it's from my soul, and I feel like that's important. And, uh, you know, like, if I don't feel it, I, it's not worth nothing, you know? So anyway, and I don't mean that, in, I mean that in the least pretentious way possible. <laughs> um, so I got this artist residency, and I had, like, this Pollock moment with, with a bug sprayer filled with, like, paint and this. And I'm, like, spraying this shit, just testing it out. And I said, oh, that's pretty good, actually. I was just fucking around on a piece of garbage with the sprayer, but it's pretty good, man. And um, I, I painted this gorilla. I, I really, um, you see this guy, the gorilla. I'm very into gorillas. Um, some of us are more gorilla-like than others. Uh, I identify a little bit. And, um, yeah, so anyway, I just think sometimes when you're stressing about like, oh my God, I'm late for the train, and this is like, you know, just remember you're kind of like, one percent off of a gorilla is the end. clothes and just think this shit is important. Really, really, you know, like, if it's raining, he pulls a leaf over his head and he's short. And we think we need all this shit. But, um, anyway. So I'm painting a gorilla and it comes out dope. 
And then right across the street, there's a wall. It's by the path train. The path train passes by it. And like, for anybody that doesn't do graffiti, when you do graffiti and you see a wall that you've seen from like a highway, and then you're standing right there, it's like seeing a famous person you've watched a movie of, and I've seen that person in real life now, and it's like, holy shit, I, I, he really looks like that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, the wall is right here. You're like, am I going to do it? Should I say something to it? Yeah. <laughs> and I get, so the, the little bug sprayer ain't going to be enough, and I did not invent this method, but if you take like a, you empty a fire extinguisher and then you fill it up with half water, half house paint and, and, and go to the gas station or use a compressor and fill it back up with air, you have like a spray paint times a thousand. You know? And uh, when you test it, you're like, whoa, it's like, it, it, it feels like probably like what it would feel like to like blast a flamethrower at something, you know, it's like, oh shit, you know? Uh, it's like almost in a non-sexual way, like orgasm. <laughs> oh wow! Non-sexual, non just spiritually. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, I'm gonna paint like a 30-foot wide gorilla in this spot. So we go there. We go to the spot at night. Um, the nephew of the artist residency building is our watch out. He's like a nice guy, you know, he's just like, just a, you know, yeah, man, you know, your art is really cool, man, like, type of guy. We're like, yeah, yeah, he's like, I'll be lookout. I'm like, yeah, you sure? <laughs> so, he's our lookout, we're painting this thing, I'm like, and I get it, I'm, I'm into it, I, I got the arms, they're like this, and the thing's like 30 feet wide, 20 feet tall, I'm like, it's happening. It's like pulling a robbery, you know what I mean? You're like, yo. We got the money, but um, somebody saw us, and I'm like, fuck it, we're finishing this. That's the part of the robbery in the movies where it's like, I know there's more money in the vault, and you're like, no, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting this on one last ice. So, uh, yeah, I hear a kid from the bushes big, cops, cops, but it's like a half a block vantage point. So they were already there, and I'm holding the roller, because I was going to use the roller for the outline of this giant gorilla. And, um, yeah, they roll up. And I'm like, fuck, I got my truck there, I can't run. Plus, I told you already, I'm not running from the cops. I'm too old to run from the cops. I'm like, I know better, I'm just not going to run. I'm like, all right, let's talk about this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except also, I know to not talk to the cops. So you can't talk about it either. Um, so they say, where are you going? I said, I dropped the roller, I said... He <laughs> says, Asshole, where are you going? <laughs> I'm mad at myself, I'm like, fuck. And he says, I'm gonna ask you one more time, where are you going? I said... He said, that's it. Let me see some ID. He always gives me your ID. So I said, I had a hat that said, don't care. Also, through my struggles and my demons in person, I discovered like meditation and yoga. 
And I was really, really into it over the summer, you know? I've been meditating a lot, and it's really helped me. So I'm in this, I'm just like this, I don't know. And he says, you know we do the fucking assholes like you that don't talk to us? We throw your bush, we throw your ID in the bushes, and you go in the system as a John Doe, and no one even knows where you're off in two weeks. And in my head, I, I, but I have, like I said, I've been meditating. I have great lessons and acceptance. And in my head, I say, it's not ideal. But, you know, I've been in the jail a short period of time, a couple of times. I'll do some push-ups, I'll meditate, maybe get some writing done, I'll draw, you know, it'll be okay. It'll suck because I'll have to tell my boss, and I'm from a, I work in a union too, I do the same thing my dad did. And uh, they would understand if I was like, hey boss, I got in a bar fight and I cracked some guy's head open with a bottle, and I'm in jail now, they'd be like, oh, okay. But if I was like, hey boss, I did some graffiti, they'd be like, what are you fucking, 16 years old? I don't understand. That's my duality, like I'm here in the art world, but then like in two days I'll be like, you know, hammering something and uh, you know, guys will be like, you see the game? And I'll be like, no, I, I don't watch sports, man, I don't. But uh, that's cool that you do, I'm, I'm happy you like it. <laughs> anyway, so and my buddy's with me, and my buddy's not talking either. He's a big Irishman, he gave him the PBA card. Every Irishman, no matter how big of a scumbag they are, has a PBA card. It's just the perk of being Irish. I don't have it, I'm half Sicilian. And they really, the cops don't like me, man. I ain't playing. They just don't like me, and it's fine. Because I'm not a big fan, I, 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 I don't really love them that much either. Um, just, I don't like being told what to do, and I, I just see humans as humans, and I treat humans with respect, and I'm not going to respect them higher than I respect myself. And that's just the way I carry myself. So anyway, again, this is going on for 20 fucking minutes. You know, you're going to tell me something, asshole? You're going to fucking just... And this guy looked like... Anybody seen the movie Colors? Yeah. Colors, yeah. Colors. <laughs> Robert Duvall. What this dude looked like Robert Duvall. The slick back hair, the bald hair, the mustache. And you could tell he was a badass motherfucker when he was young, but he's still a badass dude. He's like, he's like one day before retirement, this guy. You know what I mean? He's still angry as fuck. And he's treating me the way like, you know, Andy Sipowitz would be treated like some child molester. And I'm just like, dude, it's competing. You know, in my head, I'm like, really that man? Like, I'm really, really that man? And he's like, I don't understand why two white guys want to go to jail. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think anybody wants to go to jail. It's fucked up that you think that like people of color want to go. That's a problem. And they're like, you understand? You're gonna be the only white guys. And I'm like, yo, that sounds like a fear that you have, man. I grew up in the 90s and doing all kinds of shit. That wasn't that irregular to me, and I'm not, I'm not so uncomfortable with that situation. I was in the jail in the 90s, in the tombs and shit like that, Queen's House, around. Not short stays. I've been shit through Rikers, and, uh, you know, you, you deal with it. And um, anyway, I'm meditating, though. The most beautiful, the point of the story is it was the most beautiful meditation in my life. I'm up against my, my, my pickup truck, I got a 79 pickup truck, it's dope, it's old, and I'm just there, like, do you realize they're going to impound your fucking car, asshole? I'm like, yeah. 
Just accept it. Accept it. Don't give them anything. Don't show them any. They put the cuffs on me. They were so tight. It's not going to be like, oh, could you lower the cuffs? And then what, he's going to loosen them and try to strike a conversation with me? Nah, fuck it. Keep them tight. You know what I mean? I'm in the back of his car. And the, the um, Homeland Security, Jersey City police guy shows up. Because they got these extinguishers and they don't know what the fuck they are. And they're like, what are those? I said, I don't know. I have no idea what they are. They're like, hey, well, we know they're yours. I don't know. So the guy gets there and he unplugs the thing and takes the pin out and shoots it at the wall. And you see his eyes light up. Magic. The wall is not his property. And he felt the magic of that. And he'll never unfeel that. <laughs> I felt like just gratitude. It was a beautiful. I'm, I'm having a beautiful time in the back of space car. It's just beautiful. I'm having a beautiful night. And um, this guy's getting madder and mad. He's like, "See what happened? You want to fucking disrespect?" I said, "Officer, I'm not in love and respect for you in my heart." He went fucking nuts. <laughs> He says, why do I get all the fucking weirdos? <laughs> no, if the cops don't think you're a fucking weirdo, you're doing something wrong. You know I mean? I, there's some cool cops, man. I'm not bashing all of them. But that's because they're people, not because they're cops. Um, so anyway, they take me. He says, asshole, do you realize you're going to jail? And after 45 minutes of him telling me I'm going to fucking jail, I'm like, yeah. I think I understand I'm going to jail. You've been telling me I'm going to jail for the past 45 minutes, man. You want to take me or we can sit here and look at the wall longer? And uh, that's pretty much all I said to him. Then he took me to jail and, like, I heard him telling my boy, you know what's going to happen to you in there? He gave up on me. Uh, and then uh, the, 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 the captain and the sergeant eventually was like, what the fuck? What are they here for? Get, give them some citations and get them the fuck out of here. And uh, we walked out of there. No car. They didn't impound my shit. Uh, but, um, yeah. I, I, I never been to Jersey City after that, really. <laughs> <laughs> I never finished the walk. Still sitting there like this. But um, I do still meditate, and that, that's a beautiful thing.
heard a live performance of Wave of Mutilation by Sammy and Sarah. And before that, you heard stories from Dean Dempsey and Tone Tank. And I want to have a special thank you to Z Beale because uh, on the installment when Tone told his story, we had a technical problem and it wasn't recorded the usual way. And Z happened to have recorded it from the audience. So we were able to salvage it, uh, which is amazing. We love that story. So thank you, Z. And uh, so... Another thank you to Gabriel Galvin, who co-produces the podcast and records all these uh, versions of our theme song, Written by a Fool. The one I'm speaking over right now is Chris Egan on drums, and Shilpa Ray is going to sing it in a little while. Uh, if you want to show up to the Tell actual live series uh, sometime, you can find out when it's happening at thetellstories.com uh, or follow me at Michael Leviton on Instagram. And uh, otherwise... This is the Tell, episode 13.